God, we thank you so much for those songs that we were able to sing, and thank you, God, for um, leading us this morning, and I just pray that as we've reflected and as we um, have just uh, sung these songs about coming to you and bringing our burdens to the altar and bringing ourselves to the altar and, and knowing, God, that you have paid uh, for our lives. Jesus, you went to the cross, and you died on the cross for us, and we're so thankful, Lord, for that, that we live today in a time where victory and where wholeness is possible because of what you've done for us, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're starting this new series um, called um, Facing the Giants and Facing Your Giants. And we want to talk today about facing the giants of our past. Uh, In this series, we want to look at the different kind of giants that we have in our lives. And there's a few little disclaimers I want to make to begin with. First thing, I think it's important for us to recognize that not all giants in our lives are bad. You may have found yourself at times where you are facing an obstacle, uh, where you had to make a crucial decision, a really big decision, Um, maybe where you had to, you know, uh, navigate just the different things in your life. And you've experienced these things and you you come to the realization very quickly that not all of those have been negative. There's been some difficult things. There's been some big things in your life. Um, they weren't negative things. They, as a matter of fact, maybe you, you proposed and, and you had kids and, and you got a mortgage and you got your job and all of these were like weighty and they, they took some stress and they, they gave you some gray hairs. But in the end, you would look at it and say, yeah, those are some big giants in my life, but they were actually really positive. They were really good They helped me out a lot. See, when we think of giants, I think we very often think of the story of David and Goliath. And so with that story, what we've often concluded and what what is, you know, many, many sermons have been preached on is this idea that David was somehow an underdog in the fight and that he, he went into this battle and he was this underdog, this young teenage boy facing this massive individual who, who was a, you know, a pro in war and who had been in battle his whole life. And, and we have this idea that when we have giants in our lives, that we are the underdogs and that we face them as the underdog. I want to just clarify a few things. Personally, I do not see David as an underdog in that fight. And it's very clear that David did not see himself as an underdog. As a matter of fact, David was confused why no one else was going to war. Because David saw not a giant that was, you know, intimidating and threatening. He saw a giant that was standing in the way of what God wanted done. And David saw a victory. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that not all giants are bad. And not all giants should treat, you know, we should treat ourselves as if we're somehow the underdogs in the story. See, sadly, I believe many Christians have developed this view of themselves as underdogs. That because I'm a Christian, that makes me the underdog, and this is not correct. Think about it for a moment. Christians are not underdogs. If you think about what Jesus has done for us, if you think about Pentecost, today celebrating Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us, how are we the underdogs? We have the power of God living in us. We're not underdogs. See, if we view ourselves as underdog, we often take this victim mentality or we, we, we surrender to defeatism or we begin to view ourselves as if we're somehow limited in our lives and we're not. 
God is on our side. And God is with us. And God is leading us. Christians, you are not underdogs. So when we talk about facing our giants, we need to face them the same way David faced them. He saw a person who was in the way of what he knew God had called them as a nation to. Now we know that Jesus tells us in John chapter 16 verse 33 that life on this earth isn't always going to be easy. He, says, he said this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Explanation mark. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Whatever giants are in your life, whatever obstacles are in your life, whatever you are facing today, you need to recognize that Jesus made these words to you and said these words to you that you can take heart because he has overcome and you through him have overcome we cannot in one breath claim that jesus claim victory in jesus and then in the second breath declare ourselves as if though we are on the losing side the same power that raised jesus from the dead is in us victory is ours in jesus therefore we must live out that victory in the now it is not just a victory for the future. It is a victory for the now. The power and the resurrection are in the now, in the here and in the now. And so I hope that that's something that you would take to heart as we go through the series. That as we look at giants, as we look at these things that are going to push against us, things that are going to challenge us, things that are going to make life hard, that we do not face them expecting defeat. We face them expecting victory because of the victory that Jesus has given us. So I want to talk about a giant that all of us have. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have this giant in their life. And it's called the past. The giants of our past. For most of us, our past have included moments of triumph and moments of failure. Pain and pleasure. Good and bad. Accomplishments and losses, joy and sadness. So we need to face them. We need to face both, both the good and the bad. We can't ignore them. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ezra chapter 3. And if you have the app, it should be in there, but the words are going to be on the screen. Ezra chapter 3, and if you don't know where Ezra is, just pretend. Just go to the front page of the Bible and just look real quick. And you're like, Ezra, Ezra, Ezra. Right after the, the Chronicles, okay? So Ezra. Ezra says this, chapter 3, verses 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest in their vestment and with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Ashva, with cymbals, took their place of praising, praise, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love endures. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. The temple, the, lay, the foundation is being laid for the temple. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple temple being laid while many others shouted for joy no one could distinguish the sounds of shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away real quick history lesson here the year 
535 B.C. And for a long 50 years, the people of Israel were a conquered people. They lived in exile. Babylon had defeated them. Persia was the world power. And the Jews, many of which are now quite prosperous in their land of captivity, are living far from the home they once knew. And for the new generation, those who were born in captivity, the land of Israel was something they knew almost nothing about. At this time, in Ezra chapter 3, there are some 3 million Jews living in captivity. Less than 50,000 returned to the land of Israel. Some were young and others obviously older. Only the most committed left the comforts of Babylon to do what was necessary to begin to rebuild their nation. They returned to a city that was surrounded by enemies. Its defenses were gone. city is in ruins. And the temple has been completely destroyed. And before they could face their future, they were forced to face their past. They had to face their past. In these verses, Ezra... Um, you know, in Ezra, we see how the elderly people, they mourned, they saw, how, or they recognized that at one time God had filled this temple with his presence, and now God's presence was absent, absent, and they are in absolute distraught. So how do we face our past? Every single one of us has one. How do we face our past? Remember, these are both the good and the bad. We need to face both of them. So how do we do this? I want to give us just two ways today to look at and, and through process. And the first one is this. We must face our past honestly. We must face our past honestly. Let's quickly look at some of the backstory again to the book of Ezra. Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, if you, read, if you have your Bibles, you can just see Ezra and then the book of Nehemiah follows right away. They were originally, they, they were combined as one book until the English translation separated them. And there's a lot of overlap in these books. Some of the same events, some of the same characters are mentioned in both. And they capture the returns of the, you know, of the dispersed people. And these were the ones who were dispersed you know, into Babylon. And in these books, these three books, there are three key leaders that are highlighted. First one is Zerubbabel. If you ever want to name your kid a good name, there's one, Zerubbabel, and there's Ezra, and there's Nehemiah. Zerubbabel, you're going to see him in Ezra chapter 1 to 6. He's sort of the leader of the people. Then in chapter 7, um, Ezra takes over, and then in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is the leader of the people. And before, you know, and that, this book isn't, this isn't really a sermon on these books, and so we're going to have to jump over a lot of things, but before Zerubbabel could begin this great rebuilding of his people and of the, of the land and of the temple and of the city, he had to face the reality of their past. Israel had both a glorious past and a notorious past. They had moments where God was with them in a beautiful way. You know, they had the beautiful temple, this amazing temple, and it was filled with the glory of God. Remember those days when you read in the early, early chapters and during the time of, of Samuel and, and Solomon and, and this, you know, this beautiful time where God was with his people, but they also had a notorious past. 
a past that brought condemnation of God, captivity of the nation, the destruction of the temple and the destruction of, of Israel and Jerusalem itself. And now they were in a place where they had to face both. And so the people, the first one that they needed to face was their, their glorious past. The people of Israel had this long, beautiful history of God leading them. For example, you can go back and you can see how God, you know, helped them to win battles after they were out of exile in, in Egypt. And, and they came out of that land of slavery. And these were people who were brickmakers and, 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 you know, and masons. They weren't warriors. And yet God gave them tremendous victory. It was so obvious that these victories were at the hand of God. Then you have them experiencing the, you know, getting the Ten Commandments. And then after that, they, were, they, were, they built this tabernacle and, and, and God filled it. And then they built the temple and God filled it. And so again, Israel had a glorious past. Can I say, so do you. You too have a glorious past. Think about your life. You have had so many moments in your life of triumph. Moments where you just... Everything went, not just good, but man, you accomplished things that you wanted to accomplish. You started that business. You, you, whatever it might be, you had these moments in your life and God blessed you. You too have a glorious past. Facing our past requires us facing it honestly. Acknowledging the good in our past. Sometimes in a time of season or in a season of hardship, we may conclude that everything is negative. No, not everything is negative. We have moments in our lives, many moments in our lives where God has worked and it's obvious. God often told the people of Israel to remember that he was the one who brought them out of Egypt. As a matter of fact, this theme of reminding the people that God was the one who brought them out of Egypt is mentioned 87 times in the Bible. 87 times God would, through prophets, and, or he would speak himself, and he says, remember, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. See, God wanted his people to never forget their glorious past. Make sure that you are not forgetting your glorious past or dismissing it. It's important for us to recognize that, yes, in seasons of hardship, it can be easy to think that everything is hard, everything is difficult. Those are the moments where we need to look at our lives and say, no, there are seasons, there have been seasons where God has done an amazing work in us. The people were reminded during difficult times to never stop considering that God provided, how God was near to them during those times even when there seemed to be no evidence of God being near, he reminded the people, look to your past and see how I was faithful. And if I was faithful then, I will be faithful now. Church, do not dismiss or disregard your good past. And if you're in a season of hurt, and if you're in a season of pain, you need to look back at those moments to be reminded of what God has done. So we need to be honest, not just saying, oh, everything is awful. No, we need to be honest and say God has often done amazing things in our lives. That's part of being honest about our past. The other side where we have to recognize is that we also have a notorious past. Israel had a notorious past, an ugly past, filled with evil. 
There were many times where the people did evil in the eyes of God. They worshipped other gods. They indulged in every kind of wickedness imaginable. They had kings like King Ahab, probably one of the most wicked kings ever. Then you have King Manasseh. In 2 Kings verses 21 verse 9, we read, But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Think about that for a moment. God brings the Israelites into this nation, wipes out the previous occupiers because of their evil, and now Israel is more evil than those people. That is part of their past. Then you have, you know, other, other kings like Zedekiah who was a puppet king, who would not listen to the prophet Jeremiah. And, and this led to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar coming and destroying the land and leading the people into exile. So while Israel has these moments in the past where they were obedient to God, they also have these moments in their past where they deliberately disobeyed, disobeyed God. And that, I would say, is putting it lightly. They, they, they did, purposely did evil in the eyes of God. They killed prophets that God sent them to warn of evil. Israel had this ugly, ugly, wicked history. Facing the giants of our past, for you and I today, requires that we do not dismiss the evil and the sin and the pain of our lives from our past and the present. Some of our past includes things that we wish we wouldn't have done, things that we wish that we could take back and do differently. We must repent and ask God for forgiveness. We cannot ignore the sin of our past. It will not go away. It is an infection that grows and it will take over. We must root it out. We must seek forgiveness. At times, at the same time, some of us have giants in our past that have caused tremendous amount of pain and it was not of our doing. We cannot simply try to dismiss these experiences either and not find healing for them. Facing our past with honesty requires to first admit what was done to us, what we have done, sorry, and what was done to us. Not to downplay it or excuse away the damage, the pain, the trauma that it caused when people hurt us. We must face the past with honesty, both the good and the ugly. So as you look back on your life, and you look back on the things that you did, maybe you're filled with shame. Maybe you think back to those things that you've done and those things that you were involved in, and you have this enormous amount of shame, and you just want to hide it, and you've concluded that God cannot forgive you. But the truth is that Jesus died for those sins so that we could have victory from them, over them. So we need to seek forgiveness, face the past, seek forgiveness. Remember this king, Manasseh? He's one of the most wicked kings Israel ever had. And yet in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, we read that he prayed. And he prayed this prayer, chapter 33, verse 12. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he had prayed to him, the Lord was moved with his entreaty and listened to his plea. 
So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Now, if you keep reading, you see how this king suddenly takes a very different approach to life. He removes the altars. He, he removes the detestable things. And for this man, forgiveness was offered, even after the horrendous things he had done. See, forgiveness is available for you and I as well. If you have, you know, sinned, and if you've experienced forgiveness, can I remind us then to live out that forgiveness, to live out the forgiveness and, and, the, and the joy that it brings and the freedom that it brings? You may have grown up, you know, thinking that you are forever scarred by the, by the things you did in your past. When Jesus forgives you, those, those are removed from you. The other part of this is that we need to also work with the past of our lives where we were not the culprits, where we were not the ones who did the harm. I know that there are some of you here today, you are wounded and scarred by what was done to you in the past. Some of you experienced being abandoned. You grew up in the absence of love. You were constantly on edge in fear, never knowing what was going to come next. And as uncomfortable as this is to talk about, let's just call it out. Within our Mennonite community, which is where our background for many of us, physical and sexual abuse were common and are common. Definitely not labeling and saying everyone, but we know it's there. And we cannot deny it. We cannot lie and say no. Many of you in this room have experienced some form of abuse. You grew up maybe thinking that some of this was just what it was. And if you've experienced abuse in any form, can I tell you today that you did not deserve it? It's not your fault. You did nothing to bring that on. Someone chose to hurt you. And you are wounded. And you must find healing from that. We cannot face the past, the giants of our past, unless we are completely honest with what is in our past. Healing is possible only by honestly processing the past. And blaming oneself for the actions and the faults of others does not bring healing because it does not address the issue. And if we blame ourselves for the actions of others, we only create more pain because we, we now carry with us not only the pain of what was done to us, we carry with us the weight and the responsibility of what was done to us. So we must be honest and say, no, someone hurt me. When you experience pain of this sort or abuse of this sort, it can have a lasting imprint on your life. It can affect our confidence in ourselves, our view of ourselves. It can result in disconnectedness within marriage. Even fear of parenting. What if I'm like my parents or what if I'm one of those people? It can cause anxiety and the list goes on and on. Never tell yourself that the past is in the past and you should just forget it. You can't. You can forgive, but you cannot just forget. 
My professor said this, if forgetting was possible, we would not need to forgive. If forgetting was possible, we would not need to forget, forgive. By forgiving, we begin this journey towards healing. And the key word here is begin. We must face our giants honestly. Second thing we need to do, we need to face our giants or our past obediently. In the book of Ezra, there you see these two people who understood what needed to be done, and they understood that it needed to be done immediately. There's this man named Joshua who was the high priest in Zerubbabel. And these were two of the leaders of the exile at that time. And they led the people to do the right thing. Ezra chapter 3 verses 2, it says that they began to build the altar of God, the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They repaired the altar, and I want you to hear this, they repaired the altar before they built the temple. The altar at that time was a prominent piece required for the people to worship. So before they did anything else, they prepared to bring worship back into the ruins of their lives. Before the temple was built, before Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, the people worshipped God. I know that this is going to seem difficult to process. But please consider this. Before you can begin to restore the brokenness in your life and find healing, you must begin with worship. You must turn to Jesus. And I recognize that many of you might say, well, where was he? Where was he when that person came in my room? Where was he during that time as a child? And I don't have good answers for you. But as a pastor of 25 years, I can tell you this. I have seen over and over and over. We're in the pain of someone's life. Worship brought them towards the healer who could restore them fully. You must worship in your sorrow. And I would say you can worship in your sorrow. You can worship in response to God's provisions for you. You can worship in your season of waiting. You can worship in your season of frustration and confusion. Worship takes the focus off of you and places it on Jesus, who is the one who can heal you. If you're here today and you are trying to heal yourself, you're doing awesome, but we are limited. And by worshiping Jesus, we invite him into our lives to do for us and to do in us what we cannot do on our own. Psalm 95, verses 6 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are his pasture, the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Psalm 27, verse 4 says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the days of trouble he will keep me safe, and in his dwelling he will hide me from the shelter, in the shelter of his sacred tent, and set me upon a rock. 
Psalm 61, verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge. A strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and to take refuge in the shelter of your wings. We saw this in Ezra as well. Those who were older, they worshipped in pain. They worshipped in what they felt was loss. They saw the history. They saw what it once was. And now it was so different. The elders had seen the former glory of Solomon's temple. And they knew what it was and what it could be. And now they find themselves in a place where they had to come to terms with their past. And so they were worshiping, the elders were worshiping in their sorrow. Your past does not dictate who you are. It does not determine the course of your life. It does not define you. It's an obstacle that you will have to navigate. It's something that you will have to you know, process. But you are not stuck in your past. And this can be a difficult journey. And you might wonder, how does it begin? And for many people, it's a journey that begins by simply telling the right person. I cannot tell you how many times Marie and I have sat with somebody and they will say something like this. I have never told anyone this before. And in those painful moments, they begin the journey towards healing. So I want you to know that regardless of your past, regardless of the condition you find yourself in today, I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that you are valued, that you matter, that your story, your story matters that healing can take place. I want you to know that God loves you. That we love you. And we want to journey with you. Start facing the giants of your past. The good and the bad. By inviting Jesus into your life. Inviting Jesus to bring healing and cleansing. Inviting him to restore you. So I want to invite you today. Going to wrap up in a little bit. If you would want to just come to the front after the service to be prayed for, I would love to meet with you, to pray with you, to hear you, and to start this journey together with you. You are not alone. You are not alone. So we're going to close in prayer in a little bit. We'll put some soft music on. We're going to ask that the rest of you that are, that are making your way up, that if you would just leave this place quietly and allow time and space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. And if you want prayer, I would invite you to come and we will take the time that we need to pray together, to listen together, and begin this journey towards healing together. Let's pray.
Jesus, I thank you so much that when you hung on the cross, you already saw us, our good and our bad.